I need a minute. I'm sorry. I got excited. That's my favorite song right there. But that whole set was just so good. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. So back in January, I uh, was having some challenges uh, with my family in Tennessee. Uh, we had been talking about this sabbatical for a long time. Uh, Steve and I had been talking about it for a couple of years. And um, I don't know how to describe how I feel about things. I don't know how to rest. I don't. I know how to work and I know how to escape, but I don't know how to rest. And that's just become glaringly clear over the last few years. And uh, I was watching The Chosen somewhere along the way. And it struck me that there were so many times that Jesus was unavailable. And that's when I realized I needed to do this. I needed to submit to this. That's really what it was in my mind. But I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one in this room that doesn't know how to rest. I'm not the only one in this room that's in a rhythm of work and escape. And I heard several years ago someone who's much smarter than me say that we have to look at rest as a weapon. And I knew it was true. But I had no idea why. So the reason we're going through the series before I go on a sabbatical, I told you last week the series is for me, not you, but I think we all need it. But I had to come to understand why and how rest could be a weapon. And so that's what we're talking about today. Um, in <clears throat> Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he shares an analogy in there, or a statement, I guess, and I'll paraphrase it. He says, too many people get close to the end of their careers or lives, climbing the ladder of their careers and lives, only to find that it was leaning against the wrong wall. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Anxiety's ratcheting up. Mental illness is on a steep incline. Depression, suicide, through the roof. Anger, everywhere. You can't talk to, you can't be in any kind of situation or discussion with two viewpoints and there not be a lot of anger show up pretty fast. What's going on? And can something change? And so today I'm going to look at a story about Jesus. A story that we're going to look at a little differently. And uh, so I'll just plunge in. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water. He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly beloved son. 
<coughs> excuse me, and you bring me great joy. Then the Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. So let's take a minute and let's begin Jesus' ministry. He was 30 years old, about, and it's time. It's time for the mission to begin in earnest. He knows why he's here, and he knows what he has to do. So he goes and he's baptized. What a baptism. Telling you, man, John, first John says, uh, you should be doing this to me, not me, you. Jesus says, no, this is the right thing. Let's do it. So John baptizes him, then heaven rips open. The Spirit just descends on Jesus. And a voice says, this is my boy. And he brings me great joy. I don't know if God rhymed or not. Maybe it could happen. That's awesome. You know, I've gotten to baptize so many people over the years. I love baptizing people. I like to hold them under extra long so they're more thankful (laughs) when they come up. By the way, if you're going to be baptized this year in August, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Green River's going to be cold (laughs) this year. We're going to have people catching people because the water's going to be flowing. It's a great joy to me. In fact, it's so much a joy. We have a, a baptism we use here sometimes that we can roll in. But every time I baptize somebody, they want to hug me, and I don't want to stop them. So I get wet, so I have to wear something that gets wet myself. <laughs> you, gotta, you must never forget, yes, Jesus was exceptional. I'm not going to argue that there was a, there was a I'm not going to say there's not a lot that was exceptional about Jesus, but you have to remember that everything exceptional Jesus did, he did as example so that we could live exceptionally. He did it as example. And I have never seen with my physical eyes what happens when someone's baptized, but I'm pretty sure it's just what we read. I'm pretty sure that when you're baptized in the Spirit, if you were paying attention, if you could connect with that, if you would connect with that, you would would see heaven ripped open, you'd see the Holy Spirit descend, and you'd hear Papa say, this is my beloved child, they bring me great joy. I love this kid. I think that's what you hear. I think that's why people come out of the water excited and smiling and happy because they've just heard in their spirit, in their deepest place, that Papa's proud of them, that he loves them, he's their favorite, and that they bring him great joy. That's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But then what happens? And that's where we want to turn our attention to today. It's important that you understand the beginning, and we're going to come back to that. But it's also important to see what the Holy Spirit does with Jesus. As soon as Holy Spirit is in Jesus Christ, and now the Holy Spirit is inhabiting Jesus, the Spirit compels Jesus into the wilderness. Now that's, that's weird. Why not just pull up a stump right there on the river and start laying it out for folks? Turn to Jesus. You know, John has already done... The pre-show, repent, and now Jesus can say, all right, trust me and let's roll. But that's not what happens. 
We don't have a sermon. We don't have any miracles at the river. We don't have any big show. In fact, what we have is the opposite. We have Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody else is no, no, even knows what's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus can't be found. Everyone's like, what just happened? And then they're like, where'd he go? <laughs> you need to understand that that's what happened when Jesus was baptized. Why? Why did Jesus go to the wilderness? And what does that have to do with rest as a weapon? Because I think we misunderstand the wilderness. You see, we do learn right away that the devil's out there in the wilderness. So what is this? What is the wilderness? Well, we know it's an anti-Eden. It's an anti-Eden. There's no fruit out there. There's no, no, nothing that will help you live. Nothing that's joyous. It's the wild animals in the desert, man. It's the Wyoming of the Middle East. <laughs> we know that. What's Jesus' plan? I mean, what's the Holy Spirit's plan? Is this like a cage match? A showdown? Welcome, 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 Jesus and Lucifer. Throw down. You think that's what it is? I mean, he gets out there. He's tempted for 40 days. Is it sink or swim? Jesus, dirt, rocks, no food, wild animals, and your worst enemy. That's a good, it's a great narrative. It's a great narrative. Indiana Jones, do you remember that scene? Uh, only the penitent shall pass. Comes right from this idea right here. Lord of the Rings, Gandalf. What did he say? You shall not pass. Is that what this is? Is that what the wilderness was? That right at the beginning, like my dad taught me to swim. You know, here, figure it out. I'll be back in half an hour. Hope you live. <laughs> he loved me, just not as much as I loved me. But anyway, so what is the wilderness about? And what did Jesus learn there? This is important because you've got to get the understanding. What did Jesus learn in the wilderness? Because he did not learn what I learned in the wilderness. Probably not what you learned in the wilderness. So when I go through a bad time in my life, when I go through a wilderness, a trial, I don't go back. I learned my lesson. Every, every wilderness is like a hot stove to me. Oh, that burned. I'm out. I'm done. Michael's not returning to this place. If, is that what the wilderness is about? To teach Jesus the negatives? To teach him what not to do? Because if that is the lesson he was supposed to learn, like I would have learned, then we have a problem. The problem is that Jesus kept going back to the wilderness. This was not his only alone in the wilderness experience. He went there by choice. From this point on, Mark 1.35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. John, Mark 6.46, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. John, I mean Luke 6.12, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and he prayed to God all night long. Jesus couldn't get enough of the wilderness. The wilderness that I'm like, that was a bad experience. I'm never going back. Jesus is like, that's a great experience. I'm going back. You see the difference? That's why we, our assumptions about the wilderness are wrong. We are not correct in our understanding of why Jesus went into the wilderness 
or what he got out of the wilderness. Because I'm going to tell you what, the devil made a mistake meeting Jesus in that wilderness. The devil messed up. When he walked out thinking that the wilderness was his domain, and when he walked out into a wilderness that Satan thought he owned, he discovered that Jesus had made the wilderness his house. And he, you don't bounce up in Jesus' house without paying a consequence. And that's what happened to the devil. Somehow Jesus went out into the wilderness that we think is the devil's home field, and Jesus made it his home field advantage. And we better find out why and how. Because the wilderness wasn't a trap. It wasn't torture. The wilderness was tactics. you're writing things down remember this the wilderness was tactics the holy spirit was preparing jesus for a ministry and a purpose he was not punishing jesus i think punishment is a waste i think god hates to punish actually because when he has to punish he knows everything's been lost and it's basically a waste at that point but i think god loves discipline because discipline's for victory We discipline ourselves to win, to overcome. And that's the tactics. That's where the tactics begin. Jesus said in John 4, 34, in another story about the woman at the well, he said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, which leads us into what happened in the wilderness for Jesus. Because Jesus, when he went out into the wilderness... You think about how Satan tempted him. He tempted him with bread, evil carbs. <laughs> Keto's the way to go, I guess. I don't know. So he tempted his trust. Did he trust God? He tempted his worship. Who was he gonna worship with? But what Satan or who was he gonna worship? But what Satan didn't understand is that Jesus did not come into the wilderness to pine for what was not in the wilderness. Jesus did not go into the wilderness to pine for or wish for or dream about what was not in the wilderness. Let me ask you a question. Where is God? The answer is everywhere. Okay, let's do this, okay? Where is God altogether? Everywhere. You're never going to go anywhere God isn't present in. There's never going to be a moment of your life God does not exist in and has not existed in for eternity. You understand this, right? So what happens when you go in the wilderness? There's no carbs in the wilderness. <laughs> There's no distractions in the wilderness. No Facebook in the wilderness. No, no money in the wilderness. No careers in the wilderness. No. You know what is in the wilderness? The Father is in the wilderness. There will never be a place the Father does not exist. And the wilderness was not about putting Jesus in some kind of trap, cage, fight with the devil. It was about giving Jesus an opportunity to get one-on-one with his father. That's the beginning of rest. Rest starts with the father. Rest starts with focus. I am learning more and more that rest is not about letting it all go. Rest is about focusing on the one who actually is rest. And so Jesus connected with God and he learned a lot about God. He learned to trust God. He learned to worship God. He learned all those things 
out in the wilderness. Jesus overcame because of the wilderness. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.9, which is a verse that's been stuck in my craw for 15 years at least. <laughs> there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. There's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Now you want to read Hebrews chapter 4, I bet. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested or ceased from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. There's a rest for you. There's a rest for me. Let's say that. There's a rest for me. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? I love the word rest. <clears throat> so Jesus began his journey into the wilderness with a phrase, or it started with this phrase, you're my beloved son and you bring me great joy. Ladies, don't worry about the word son there. We could say child if we're going to apply it to ourselves, which we can. I think every person, regardless of your gender, has to be a son and a bride. So all you ladies have to learn how to be sons. All you men have to learn how to be the bride. You say, I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah, God's really concerned with your comfort. <laughs> okay. So, what do you hear? You see, when Jesus begins this walk in the wilderness, the first thing he hears is that he's accepted. God accepts him, and then he brings great joy to God. See, this is salvation. I need you to understand, this is what it means to be saved. That you are a beloved son or daughter of the Father. This is where it begins. And you bring him joy. This is salvation. If your salvation is you always trying to get God's approval, you still need a little bit more saving. I'm not saying you're lost. I'm just saying you need to understand that this is the package deal. That coming into relationship with God is God accepting you and embracing you as his beloved child. Someone who's in relationship with him. Someone who brings him great joy. You see, Jesus went through anti-Eden in the wilderness so he could recover Eden. What's Eden? Is it a garden and grapefruit? Well, I hope there probably was a grapefruit tree in the garden, but... I wonder if there was a pizza tree and a T-bone tree. You don't think so? All right. It'd be cool, though. <clears throat> Eden was not about the fruit and the food that grew on the trees. Eden was about the father who walked in the garden every morning and evening. Eden's about presence. Eden's about relationship with God. You see, that's, that's what Jesus learned in the wilderness and had learned throughout his life was that he could trust God. And I was chewing on this issue of, of trusting God and what does, what does it mean to trust God. And, and, and there's more to trust than... In fact, I began to realize that when we test people, we do it because we don't trust them. 
Let me come back to that. Let me come back to that. Right now, let's step into, we're this beloved son. So your journey into the wilderness begins with knowing that you're a son or daughter of the father. Because a, a wilderness experience as a son is entirely different than a wilderness experience as an orphan. An orphan will be in the wilderness and go, this is all about me. God hates me. A son will be in the wilderness and go, this is for my victory. This is for me. So you have to know you're a son. Second, it's a journey with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit compelled Jesus in the wilderness. Why? Why did the Holy Spirit drive him in the wilderness? Because the wilderness was an invitation to the Father. You understand this? You have to understand this. The trial you're going through, whatever you're calling your wilderness right now, it is an invitation to the Father. It is the Father saying, I'm here. I'm here. I'm always here. I've always been here. I'll always be here. Come to me. This is the Holy Spirit saying, come away with me, Jesus. Let's start this mission. Let's start this mission buried deep, rooted deep in a love for your Father and an enjoyment of your Father and being enjoyed by your Father. So the wilderness is an invitation into a communion. And that's a journey into the wilderness. I mean, journey into God. Um, I hate fasting. I know that sounded random, but I, you, I need to throw this in right here. And here's why. I get hungry. <laughs> I like to eat. Um, I don't even give myself a chance to be hungry on normal occasions. I like to pre-eat. You know, I'm like, I might be hungry later. I better eat now. But there is one thing that I like about fasting. You don't have to cook. <laughs> Cooking's a pain. I'm telling you, going to the store, how many, how many of you love to go buy groceries nowadays? <laughs> you are brave souls. Not me. Well, I am thankful. I mean, I may have to float a small note to go get them anymore, but still, you know. <laughs> eat the food today, be paying for it in five years. It's fine, it's fine. Everything's okay. The beauty of fasting is it simplifies things. It simplifies the menu. It, 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 that, but I hate it because I get hungry. So that journey with the Holy Spirit compelled him out there into a place where only God was there. And then in that place where he was tempted by Satan, he was also in the presence of the Father. It gave him 40 days of time, time with the Father. Your life is time. Whoever said that it's not the quantity of time that you spend together, but the quality of time, they were drinking when they said that. <laughs> That's not true. Um, and so Jesus got this time. What, what does that mean? Time with the Father, time in the wilderness, time in those moments creates a space for thought. Thought. I, I know that sounds so simple, but seriously, when is the last time you spent time thinking? having thoughts, maybe writing some thoughts down and processing what you're thinking and why you're thinking that. Which leads us into thoughts that lead into self-reflection and self-awareness. These things are important because until I know self, love others as I love myself. I cannot love others without a root basis of loving myself. Until I know myself, until I learn myself, I'm going to have a hard time moving to any other places in life. 
So if I get to a place and I go to the, the wilderness and I go because the spirits compel me there, I realize I'm there because I'm a son and not an orphan. And I know that I'm loved in that space and that the Father's presence in that space is not an assault upon me, but a preparation for me. Then the more time I spend with the Father, the greater the sum of my life. The greater the sum of my life. Where your life is important matters to God. Self-comparison makes us think that because somebody's life is over here important in a public arena and your life is important in a private arena, that somehow they're more important. But that is not true. That's a lie. Wherever the Father has put you and purposed you, that is where you need to be and must be important. And you are gifted to be important there, and it's okay for you to be important there. Those comparisons aren't good. So that gives us time with the Father, and then we move into a place of trust. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. We don't test people we trust. We test people who we wonder if we can trust them. Or for some reason they've given us a doubt that we can trust them. How many of you have started a new relationship, a friendship, just a platonic friendship with somebody, and it started with tests? If you're doing that, you need to talk to a counselor. You have trust issues, okay? You may, they may be justifiable trust issues, but they're still not healthy, Okay? And so what I mean is, you don't enter a relationship going, well, here, I'm going to leave my wallet on the table, see if they steal it, see if I can trust them. You don't start there. If you're doing that, that means something happened. Something went awry in the relationship. That's true of every relationship in our life except for one. Our vertical one with God. Like, we start him with a test. Test he won't take, by the way. He's God. I mean, how would you like it? I probably shouldn't use this analogy. It's a terrible analogy. I'm going to do it anyway. All right. (laughs) Please be forgiving. This analogy breaks down so fast. But seriously, how many of you have a pet, like a a dog or a cat or something like that? What if that was their relationship with you? They gave you a test every day. My dog kind of does. She stands at her food bowl and, and looks at it, looks at me, looks at it, looks at me. You're failing. It's not a healthy relationship that's built on a test. But that's how most people's relationship with God is right now. Are you good? I don't know if you're good, God. I mean, you created the world. You nailed your son to a cross to save my eternal soul. But I'm not sure if you're good because I'm crazy. Sorry. By the way, It Is Well is my favorite song. And the third verse is my favorite verse of my favorite song of all songs ever. And every time I sing it, I lose my mind. So good. So, Jesus did not build his relationship with God. He did not build his trust with God on tests. He says you don't, trust, you don't test God. What did he build it on? He built it on the same thing you built every relationship on your li- in your life on. Knowing. I trust my wife because I know her. I know her story. 
I know what she thinks about her story. I've been with her long enough that I've, I've grown with her as she's grown and seen how her thoughts about her story have changed over the years. I trust her because I know Christy. And she's still a mystery to me, but I know her better than anybody else. But God made her to be that way, so I'm good with it. Your wife is supposed to be a mystery, guys. Read Captivating. I don't have time to preach that sermon right now. You, you, so Jesus went in the wilderness, and he spent 40 days with the Father, and he came to know the Father. He had built on a 30-year relationship that had already begun with the Father. He knew him, and he trusted him. And so here he is in the wilderness, and he's hungry, and there's no food. There's no visible reason to trust the Father, but Jesus knows the Father and knows he can trust the Father. He knows that God is good. He knows that God will provide. He knows that the Father will take care of him. He knows it's going to be okay and he's going to get through this. It might hurt. You might die on a cross. But in the end, you'll have life. And you'll have it like crazy. That's how you learn to trust the Father. You stop testing him and you start learning him. And that's how you'll get through your wilderness. That's how you'll get through the trials that you're facing right now, the difficulties that you're going through. And you should know something. You're not alone. Every great leader, champion of the Bible had a wilderness. David literally grew up in the wilderness. Protected sheep out there. Fought lions and bears out there. And what did he learn out there? He learned God. He learned to know God. He learned to trust God. And God used what he learned in his wilderness as a teenager to build a great nation. Moses, he got 40 years out there. That's a long time. That's longer than I've had teenagers, but not by much. (laughs) Excuse me. Forty years out there, Moses learned the father, learned the ways of the father, learned sheep, and learned to birth a nation. John the Baptist's entire ministry was a wilderness ministry. He, he didn't just encourage people out of the wilderness. He invited people into the wilderness. They had to go out to the wilderness just to hear him insult them. <laughs> Read what he preached. That's exactly what he did. My point is, Rest is a weapon because rest focuses on the Father and the Father's your weapon. You see, when you can do nothing, the Father can do anything. When you have no answers, the Father has all the answers. When you can't see a way, He's already seen the way, lived the way, walked the way, knows the way. That's why rest is a weapon. Rest is not escaping all your responsibilities. Rest is focusing on love. God is love. Peace. God is peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's focusing on the Father. Everything He's done, everything He's promised to do, that's rest. Rest isn't distraction. Rest is focus. We learn this lesson. Our lives will change. We learn this lesson. We will become so important in the places that God has purposed that we be important. And we will make a difference there. 
We will change things there. I don't know how to rest. All I've ever really done is escape. But I'm going to learn. And here's why. I have a purpose. I know what it is. I've been called to a task, and I have no idea how I'm going to accomplish it. But it's going to be okay. I, I have no idea what the answer is. But I know there is one. I know there's one that's coming that I can't see now. And I know that the way I'll learn to see it is spending time and focusing on my Father. That's what rests my soul. And believe me, there's a war going on. Like we talked about last week for your soul. I wish I could just help Christians understand. I wish... I think we often assume that we're basically in a world where everything's generally okay and just a few bad things happen, happen on occasion. That is not the case. You are not in a world at peace that has mishaps. You're in a world at war, and it's a miracle that you ever have any peace. The sooner you wrap your head around that, the sooner you can change your focus from just trying to get over the bumps to realizing I'm out of war and I need armor, I need artillery, I need a God who fights for me because I don't even know what's coming at me. Does that make sense? So rest is the best weapon in your arsenal. It's the place to begin. So I hope, my prayer, we're going into summer. Some of you guys are teachers. I would say we're jealous of you, but after COVID, not so much. <laughs> we used to be, oh, teachers get summers off. Then I realized after knowing several teachers, they, if they don't get summers off, children are going to get hurt. <laughs> and maybe parents. But I pray that this summer... You get some rest. Is that okay? Can I pray that? You get some rest? And if you would pray for me. I'm going on this Sabbath. May and June. I need to rest. I need some clarity on a few things. I was telling someone earlier, I need to get clear on a few things without the weight of being a pastor for two months. And I don't know how to describe that to you, but I hope you'll trust me that that's a thing. So I need you to pray for me. Because I can't just escape for two months. I'm going to do some fun things. I might hit a golf ball because I haven't lost enough golf balls in my life. <laughs> I'm going to do a few things. But what I must do, what I want to do, is rest. And when I say the word rest... I mean my Father. And that's what I want for you. In fact, if you're sitting here today and you've never thought of God in these terms as a Father who loves you and takes joy at you, then I want to challenge you to pray to Him while we worship, to meet with someone on our prayer team over here on my right, your left, while we're singing those last song or two. And I want to encourage you to to embrace the reality that your father takes joy 
in you. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, then I want you to step up the plate and do it and say, yes, I trust you, Father. And I'm going to grow in trust by getting to know you, not giving you pop quizzes every time something bad happens in my life. We learn to rest. We'll learn to fight. And we'll accomplish more in our communities, Rock Springs, Green River, Sweetwater County, than we could have ever imagined. And I think our, I think our communities need us to do that. So I look forward to a season of rest that leads to a season of victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are really great. <laughs> I just love the things you do. I, I love the fact that you give us worship and that you give us songs, so many creative songs over the, the centuries that just have, I don't know, filled our souls. Help us, has given us clarity in moments of ambiguity. I thank you, Lord, that thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you love to love us and you love loving us and you take great joy in us. Thank you for Jesus showing us what the Father has for us. And I know the enemy and, and religion have turned the Father into someone you can constantly be in trouble with. Oh, Lord, I think it hurts us. I think we're afraid to go out into the wilderness with you. And that keeps us from discovering how kind and how good and how gentle and how caring and how wonderful you are. I pray that you would break off those bonds, those lies that the enemy has propagated in people's hearts and minds. And you just embrace your children and, and bring them close to you. And I pray that every person in this room has a desire to know God. I pray that every one of us tears up our test book. <laughs> And, and we know God is good. God loves me. God takes joy in me. So what I'm going through is not a statement on my value. What I'm going through right now is not how God feels about me. I'm in a broken place, in a world at war. My circumstances are not a reflection upon my Father. Please help us to grow in these truths, to know them so that we can move with confidence and we can bring relief rescue, revelation, salvation to our world. Lord, I pray, I know for a fact that the enemy shakes at the idea of rest that we have shared today. I know for a fact. So, <laughs> I thank you, Lord. I thank you for sending exactly what was needed to send this message today. The people who walked up to me and just prayed for me more than any other day. I've had people just pray for me. The, the worship set was just so perfect. It's always right, but today it was just right pinpointed exactly where we needed to be. I hear you speaking the word rest in this room. Come away with me and rest. Come with me and rest. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a rest for the people of God. Hear it. Help us to hear it. Help us to respond to it. 
Help us to not leave this place today and just head off into the next chaotic moment. But Lord, help us to rest this day. Today, embrace Sabbath as more than a day, but as our heartbeat and our life, our strength and our power. Holy Spirit, come, compel us into the place where only the Father is. In Jesus' name, amen.